yeah, that's my vibe. All I needed was a seat at the table. Shut the front door, sit your ass down. This is me when I'm feeling my feelings. Hello, hello, sweet babies. Well, it is our 10th episode. Isn't that exciting? I'm so grateful for everyone who's been listening since the beginning, and I'm thankful for anyone who's turning in right now for the first time. And if you're new, welcome. This is our weird little corner of the internet to be ourselves, talk about the weird stuff, and engage in the beautiful and disgusting elements of the human experience. (laughs) And maybe gain a little more softness and connection through vulnerability. And learning vulnerability is exactly what I want to talk about today. And so first, I would like to share with you about how I learned how to be publicly vulnerable. And later, we're going to talk to someone who's made an entire career out of sharing his inner weirdness and the healing that's happened through it. So at 36 years old, I have had the pleasure of living several lives. I've lived as a bus-dwelling nomad, a black block anarchist, a pot-growing country bumpkin, and now I'm the reigning slug queen of Eugene. But there was a time in my early 20s where I was an open mic comedy groupie. That's right. You heard me correctly. An open mic comedy groupie. (laughs) See, one of my friends at the time, her partner, was the host of a weekly spot in a little bar in southwest Portland called Sookie's. Sookie's was a special little bar that sat right underneath the travel lodge. Very classy. But every Tuesday night, the locals would move over for some of Portland's best and upcoming alternative comics. So me and my four besties would get out our cheap drinks, a basket of spicy tots, and giggle out and laugh through some hilarious and some extremely awkward sets. And after a few months of going, I decided that I would just, you know, give it a try. As a moderately funny human, I thought, why not? I'm not saying that I was any good at it. I got some laughs and some pats on the back from some more experienced comics, but I didn't stick with it. You know, classic Alyssa. But handfuls of those times, I got up and I poured out the strange little phone things that I found funny with life, and it taught me something incredible about community. When you put yourself out there and crack those weird little thoughts open in front of strangers, nine out of ten times, people just want to laugh with you. Nine out of ten people want to support you. And nine out of ten people want to connect to the things you're saying. It showed me that if I felt like I had something to share, that then information would be received with acceptance. Doing comedy for that short amount of time... I really like to think that it prepared me for more diverse types of performance. It helped me feel more comfortable and confident in my friendships when I was working on teams. Um, Stand-up was a great way for me to stop performing as myself and allowed myself to just be and to be okay with that. But probably the best thing that came from that time in my life was my friendship with our guest today. Dax Jordan is a brilliant comedian, an amazingly supportive friend, and has always been honest and vulnerable with his mental health, all while making us laugh. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Dax. How are you feeling today? Thank you. I'm feeling good. And uh, as is my way, I I started to schwitz up a little bit hearing you describe your comedy journey. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, you were you remember it was awkward, but it was fun. <laughs> I was yeah. You're you are amongst the small handful of naturals that came through, and uh, the type of person that I'm like absolutely. If they wanted to be make an impact in comedy, they could. It's true. I'm trying to I'm trying to use comedy, and also you know my need to like make people feel. Uh, authentic and trying to like blend those two worlds together at this point we're still you know we're still trying to figure out how that's going you know <laughs> absolutely well i mean you you're you have a an innate ability to add a dash of fuck you with a smile and a hug <laughs> to anything which makes it absolutely uh palatable and necessary it is a talent it is a talent mm-hmm. um so I, that's like when I first started seeing you do comedy was at Sookie's and I actually don't know, like how long were you at it before that time? Like how long has it been your career now in comedy? I started in the year 2000 at the wow, turn of the millennium. 23 uh, years. Yeah. There was a, uh, an open mic at another spot called Burbati's pan up in Portland, which is now a voodoo donuts, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's where I saw I would just go and linger and hang out at the open mic. And for anyone who's ever thought about doing comedy, they're like, what's the first thing? I said, well, just go to an open mic and hang out. Yeah. Don't intend to go up. Just go to an open mic and see the parade of human Craigslist <laughs> that just piles in. Truly. <laughs> and you'll see absolute. you'll see everything from pure mental illness that you're sad for to absolute unheralded genius yeah. that you're like, well, why aren't they famous already? Like the yeah. entire gamut. And all that has to give you the ability to say is, well, if I go up, I won't be the worst or craziest person here. Truly. I think it that's sets the bar so low. I think that everyone, like, honestly, even when you're kind of terrible, it, it showed this kind of humanity to that person because even if they're terrible, like they were still getting up there and doing it. Like they still yeah. had the initiative and the drive to be like, you know what? I'm just going to say this shit in front of people and see how it turns out. <laughs> and sometimes it turned out yeah. great. Maybe not the way they intended, but you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's uh, some of the funniest shit is when people are getting the laughs for entirely different reasons than they even think. Yeah. It will happen. You have it's like such a, a mystery sometimes. Right. Who's that guy? There was a guy who was where he was an older guy. I think he might have been on a piano or a keyboard. And he had like Oh, that's Ira Novos. Ira Novos, that was guy. our house keyboard player who came deep from the comedy scene back in Boston and he was friends with all the original Boston greats. Um yeah. And uh, yeah, and he just, he, he had a screw loose and just moved to Portland and became like a head janitor at a school and just occasionally came out and played piano. He still does play wow. piano around Portland comedy gigs. He almost had like a Kaufman-esque sense of like, is this a, all an act? But it's not. That's just his it's thing. <laughs> not. He is an oblique personality. <laughs> it's amazing. Comes from his own angle and has his own agenda and is absolute sweetheart. Yeah. You, your comedy has this way of um, being really honest and like edging in the blue, but like not really going fully for it. And I just really like love that. There's something that is so like naturally 
comical about just the way you present yourself as a friend and as a human being like but what makes you feel like you constantly want to come back to comedy like what it what does it give you in return for all your energy um yeah that's a good question because it that has certainly changed over the years um you know when you start out and you have this kind of just dumb drive to explore and you're like what it's just all uncharted territory and you're just soaking it all up um, you're doing it for your own reasons at that point. Sometimes it's like, oh man, I see these people got famous. I saw, oh, I just want to be on TV and then that'll be fine. Or, oh, I just want to have a comedy album that people can hand around. Like when people handed me a comedy album, I was like, yeah. oh, cool. I'll pop this in the old CD player. Um, and where I am at this point, you know, 20 something years into it is I just like doing it. Yeah. Like you get to a point after about 10 or 12 years that you have enough of a voice that you feel like when you're writing, it's not as random and all over the place. And you feel like you've done enough gigs that you understand when you do fail. Oh. There's nothing worse than failing and having no idea why you failed, just blaming it on, well, I guess I have zero talent. Right. I guess this or that. It's like, no, you, you start to at least have a, a framework yeah. to continue on. And so now, especially after moving to LA and how hard it is to get stage time here, um, you know, you're just kind of taking anything you can get and enjoying it for what it is um, and hoping to get out of town every now and then to see real people in yeah. real environments. <laughs> I think one of the coolest things too that I, what I think one of the things that attracted me was there was a sense of community with comedians mm. in a sense of like we got each other's back even though sometimes you'd be like you know vying for the same spots or you know the same gigs like I felt like th there was like a true kind of um fraternity of comedians you know especially in that yeah. old crew that was up in Portland like that was like the closest community of comedians I was ne next to and there it just felt like you guys were had such brotherly love for each other and that like supportive nature, even if that support meant like, you know, um, over drinking. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Sometimes you just yeah, got to drink those, too much with your buddy. Their, <laughs> yeah. 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 Some people that was their coping mechanism and uh, yeah. they were good at it. Yep. Yeah. That, that, that sense of community draws a lot of people in and um, uh, yeah, it keeps a lot of the, the weirdos and, and the miscreants and the, the people who felt that they didn't belong anywhere else. Um, they're like, all right, this, I, I get some form of recognition here and yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, it's nice. And then some people are so weird when they show up and they just keep showing up and you're like, what is, what is this person's deal? Who are they? What's happening? And I learned early on, um, like there's a comic named Don Frost, who I think was around when yeah, you were I around him. who. The first he would show up like three years in a row every week and go why is this guy here he's just wasting time what a, i don't know why he keeps coming back yeah and one day it seemed like a switch flipped and he figured out what he was and who he was and how to get laughs on purpose in a <laughs> yeah. row. and i was like i'm never going to judge anyone yeah. again uh just keep coming back until it clicks or you get tired of it. Truly. I feel like um, really good comedians or comedians who have like really get their shit together. They almost have their own comedic language. Like there's, there's a timing in a, like a stance that good comics and they stay true to that, you know, like 
people yeah. like Kyle Kinane. Like Kyle has a he has this kind of like beat to his comedy that like it's yeah. it's just him, you know. Um, yep. I love I love that, and I think when comics kind of get that their own language, their own comedic language, mm-hmm. that's when they can kind of fly, you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. And you can recognize them by their cadence. Um, I used to tour with a, a now departed uh, comic, my old roommate Floyd J. Phillips, who had a very musical cadence to his his bits. Yeah. Um, and people would see his show once and then be able to repeat his jokes back to you in that cadence because of the musicality of it. Yeah. Like and that sticks. Just stick in your head. Yeah. 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 A lot of comics, I, I feel like they use, um, especially in those open mics, it's funny, like, the, it's the in-between comics who are, like, there's, a, there's, like, the open mic comic that is, it's just raw. It's all raw. It's all unfiltered. Then there's, like, mm-hmm. the I'm trying to headline comics, but they're trying, so they kind of, like, make their stuff a little bit more palatable maybe. And then people mm-hmm. who have their true like voice, but I feel like everyone is kind of using comedy as a way to like th- free therapy. You know, we're all just like getting it out, you yeah, know? Absolutely. And th- there's like the stereotype of the sad clown, you know, the kind of the, the broken funny guy. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I just, I think a lot of people who are, have depression, like you and I are both naturally funny people, but we both have lived our entire lives with a lot of sadness, you know, and you've been really open with your struggles with mental health in your comedy. Like, do you think that has helped or has like, you have a really funny joke on your album, um, uh, Number One Grandson, that's like, Depression is the only illness that spreads, or what? Depression is the yeah, only illness that spreads when you talk about it. <laughs> yeah, by bringing it up. Yep. <laughs> and I, I think that that's true, maybe to a point. But like, honestly, I feel like now with kind of like the explosion of talking about mental health and being more real about it, using comedy to deal with depression and to like talk about it more, I think is actually way helpful. And you've, yeah. how, do you think that you've kind of therapized your own brain and heart through comedy? Yeah. I mean, the more your the introspectiveness of it, the more you're forced to kind of look at it and, and play with the pieces of it. I mean, it's something I've been stuck with forever and tried to understand and, um, yeah, I'm still on that journey of understanding it, of course, and yeah. and talking about it because I know when I hear other comics talk about depression in a way that's accurate and like make observations in a way that like oh only someone who's like had all the serotonin drained out of their brain for <laughs> weeks on end can, yeah can can relay that feeling um, yeah. yeah and it is it's truly it's a it's a chemistry it's a brain chemistry that unless you felt it and felt the bones trying to escape from inside your flesh for some reason, like you, you kind of don't understand it. Yeah. And Um, it's in depression and comedy have are so similar. Like they both feel insane. They both feel ridiculous in your body, but like you just, 
you're just existing in it. Like you don't really have a choice. <laughs> I'm like, this is just how it's got to be for me right now. Yeah. So I don't know, but it's also can be like really healing. I, you know, I've, when we, um, you know, when Sookie's was going on, like one of the comics was Ron Funches. I saw Ron Funches perform several times and the way that his life and his career has changed through comedy yeah. has been insane like what an incredible Amazing. thing to watch happen for someone especially yeah. someone like ron who is so deserving of that joy and success yeah. truly you know? yeah a guy who didn't have a bank account when he first was touring <laughs> and like had to be had to go cash the check yeah like, you don't have a bank account he's like my grandma said that's how they get you <laughs> yeah <laughs> truly like yeah, and oh like when, when you when you hear about you know the generational effects of racist past, it's yeah. like yeah, this is this is why, you know, right. Just it passes on legitimate fears, and people start to step behind financially. Yeah, now it's harder to pay them. Um, exactly. Yeah, Ron, Ron was great. We uh, we toured. He opened for me on a tour through Oregon, the week after he had done his first TV spot on Conan. Oh my gosh. Right? So he That's goes on wild. Conan, kills, goes a minute past what he had been scheduled for. Yeah. Normally they would like edit it down, but Conan went to bat for him with the producers and said, it was all perfect. Don't touch it. Take <laughs> the extra time out of something earlier, yeah. whatever. Um, so yeah, he goes on Conan and I, I call him the next day. I'm like, so Ron, do you still want to go to Ben and Eugene and... <laughs> Yeah. Up to Ellensburg with me next week. Like, are we still doing this yeah. trip? He's like, he's like, yeah. I don't even get paid for that for a month, so I need to we gotta go. <laughs> wow. So we're just driving around, and you know, I would go up first at the show and say, "Hey, folks, uh, I'm gonna be up here in a little bit, but first, I'm gonna introduce your opener, who uh, was just on Conan." <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, but he is—he's my opener, but. Yep, he had the TV spot. No big deal. <laughs> and he's amazing, and he deserves it. Like he's a singular yeah. voice, and yeah. he was great then, and he's even better now. So yeah. yeah. Well, I've uh, it's been really beautiful watching him, but it's also been really beautiful watching you. Like when we first, you know, in our early twenties, we both were suffering from a lot of like anxiety and fear, and like both we were both in marriages that were totally terrible for us and did not serve our higher selves, and it's just been like. It's such an honor to have a friend for so long, first of all. And it's even more of an honor to see that friend uh, turn into such a beautiful, positive, like, joyful human being, because that's what you deserve. I will I appreciate it. And, I, you know, we, we, those of us who are on chemical roller coasters, you know, it, you start to recognize the patterns after a while, right? Right. You know, and, and you... you you're like, all right, there's a storm coming, batting down the hatches. You kind of know what to do, and you got a feeling of when you'll be out of it. And yeah, I feel like talking about it makes a big difference to people who don't necessarily experience. Like even you recently on your podcast here, you were talking about uh, the experience of your period and the extremes you go through with that. And yeah. I had never heard about that, you know, the, the PMDD. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Of you talking about that, I learned a lot about it. Um, you know, that kind of, even, you know, as, so I work at a, a comedy theater in LA here called Dynasty Typewriter yeah. that um, is kind of becoming a, quickly a pretty great 
place to do shows and yeah. live stream a lot. And uh, the owners, they book it for the type of like voices that aren't heard a lot. So, you know, uh, we've been having shows that are specifically sometimes about women's reproductive health, like yeah. entire shows where women tell stories oh. about, you know, experiences with their OBGYNs or their pregnancies or their miscarriages or their periods. Yeah. Or, and they, you know, it's comedy at the root, but I've learned so much just from watching those shows. That's such a, like, that's such a cool way what? to like give that information, you know, like yeah. it's like informational and funny and like it, that makes us closer to each other when we can like be in a safe place and still laugh, but also like learn about those things, you know, because a lot of people I've, I've had a lot of men since the shows come up being like, I had no idea what PMDD is. And it's like, yeah, you think your girlfriend is just being a super bitch, but like she literally is a, a tornado of her own emotions and she can't yeah. get out of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you, so you're working at Dynasty Typewriter and you run like sound there, right? In the lights and stuff. You're like the. Yeah. Stage tech, station? all the, you know, yeah, we got, we have all That's kinds cool. of tech stuff going on and we're live streaming and yeah. doing a lot, of, a lot of fun things. Do you have, do you play shows weekly still? Do you still do lots of like gigs? Uh, not a ton. Yeah. Uh, coming out of COVID, the, the gigs are starting to pop back up. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, there's always turnover at the clubs, like at the improv and, you know, the spots where you, you start to get in with somebody and then you know, they get fired over COVID and now there's somebody else and now you got to hang out again and reestablish who you are and what you are and that kind of thing. So, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a real time suck yeah. <laughs> to get back into the bigger clubs there. But um, we do some of our own booked in-house shows at Dynasties. I'm able to grace the stage there occasionally nice um get out of town here and there and hopefully i'll be back up in the oregon maybe in the fall I'll try to get a yeah you, know, a little comedy you should let me know because i have uh, connections to people who book shows at some of the cool bars in town actually hey in eugene uh-huh in eugene i'm kind of a gal about yeah. town i don't know if you knew that i mean you <laughs> really are as a just to say i know the slug queen yeah probably get me into anywhere it probably, it, depending on how old the hippie man that you're talking to is, it's the weirdest thing. Hippie men, older hippie men, will do like this, like, your majesty, like, they're like, sir. They recognize. <laughs> calm down. And then younger people in Eugene are like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. It's pretty funny. <laughs> like, yeah. Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> That's fabulous. Yeah. Um, so the listening audience knows Eugene is where I went to school. Um graduated with my psychology degree from the U of O and it was also where I went to my first stand-up comedy show uh, once I turned 21 and could actually no way go to a bar and see do you remember what bar it was um it was called runners I oh. think or joggers or something joggers um, Shan knows what that is my producer he's like oh, yeah, 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 yeah joggers yeah yeah um yep yeah. and uh it was Art Krug um who is still a who's still a Portland comic um so I, uh, yeah, that was my first stand-up comedy show. And then finally uh, I hooked up with him back when I graduated and went back to Portland and he started showing me around the open mic scene. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, Dax, thank you so much for showing me a little bit into your brain and hanging out today. Um, you're, you have an album on Spotify. Is it on Apple mm -hmm. too? 
Uh, yeah, so yeah. Apple Music, Amazon, yep. uh, you, can, you can buy it if you want. Or just, Number uh, One Grandson is the name of the yeah. album. Um, I was at album. that recording, so you will hear my laughter and giggles. Uh, it's a really <laughs> amazing show. If you want to hear some of Dax's comedy, it's hilarious. His dad actually plays, like, jazz drums to a lot of his jokes, sure. and it's beautiful. We recorded the whole thing in a recording studio. How many comedians can say that? Yeah, it was incredible. You could fit 40 people in that sucker. It was a big one. Yeah, I was so stoned. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) and maybe a little bit on mushrooms. Yeah, (laughs) I remember you did a joke about mushrooms. I was like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) There right now. All right, Dax. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I love you. I can't wait to come back to Oregon soon so I can give you a squeeze. And thank you so much. Yeah. I'm going to swing through and uh, we'll do some comedy. Oh, oh okay. Uh, yeah, get your uh, set ready. Okay. No, I will. I'm, if I'm showing up, you're doing you're doing a type That's how I won show. Slug Queen. Did you know that? I did stand-up comedy for my Slug Queen per- my act, and I, I kind of killed. Is that, what is that on video? It is, is yeah. Slug Queen act on video? Yeah, it is. I'll, I'll try to dig it up and send it to you. <laughs> Yeah, let's see that. Okay. All right. If you would like to uh, support the show, feel free to head to my Patreon, patreon.com backslash Miss Buttons, and follow us on Instagram at In My Feelings with Alyssa Buttons. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. All I needed was a seat at the table. Shut the front door. Sit your ass down. This is me when I'm feeling my feelings. Please.